standing in Patientville, which is a part of, of, of Port-au-Prince proper, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, beautiful Caribbean island. Behind me is a building, maybe one of the few buildings of its size in this city. Think about this city. Maybe three million people packed into an area that was originally designed and created for 50,000 people. More money is invested in Haiti than any other country in the world, but yet very, very little return. And we began to think, as we'd seen in Watoto, if Watoto could change the country of Uganda, is it possible that a church could actually change Haiti? I mean, is the church the really the hope of the world? And we began to think, what if there was a church here that began to impact the community and change this country from the inside out? What you're looking at may be our first international campus. I know it doesn't look like much from here, but I'm gonna take you inside. Now, I don't know what you see when you look at the building, but I have a pretty vivid imagination. This is what I see. Can you imagine through a church like Hope Community Church right here in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, lives being changed, a community being changed, a nation being changed, one life at a time, as we empower them to be the solution to what God wants to do among these people here in Haiti. Haiti, the churches, they are very traditional. And the church in Haiti go for hours. We want to come here and to change that, to have a church that we we will probably do about one hour and 30 minutes service. Um, we put a lot of emphasis on worship and the Word of God, on giving, and uh, because we want to do everything with excellence. And this is really our goal, to have a church that is like open door church. Everybody can come to the church the way they are. And then when they come, so we will help them to grow, to become a very good and uh, and solid Christians in, uh, in the church. Uh, so we want to be able to, you know, to go and get all the people that will never go to the church because of those traditions, because of a lot of other things. We want to change things. We will not change anything in the Word of God, but we can change the way, the methodology, the way that we, we, we present to them the gospel. In the years that are coming, to have a church like your church in, the, in Haiti to change the, the, the Haitian culture here to change the community here and to change the country. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm excited. By the way, John Elise there. John Elise is a businessman in Port-au-Prince, and uh, he started nine churches in Haiti. He's never taken a penny of a salary to do it. And he has agreed to partner with us for what we think God is going to be leading us to do in Port-au-Prince. And phenomenal guy, gathering the business community together. They've already started meeting as a core group. They've already started small groups. They have your five-year ministry plan. And incredible things going on. We're going to be talking about that tonight, 615, right here in the auditorium as we have our vision night. And I know it's busy. I know it's football season. I know everybody's so into themselves. But man, if you could carve out an hour 
you know, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the budget. We're going we're to approve three elders. And if you'd like to check out their stories, you can go online, gethope.net. We're going to be approving them tonight. And then the rest of the time, I'm going to be talking about kind of our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. What we're doing in our own community uh, as it relates to property and campuses for uh, our campuses right here in the Triangle. Uh, then I'm going to be talking about an inner city ministry that we've been loosely affiliated with. But now they're going to come on board as a ministry partner. And how we're going to work together to reach downtown Raleigh. And then we're going to be talking about what we're doing in Port-au-Prince. And all kinds of incredible things going on. And uh, I just want you to be here for a few minutes. It, it'll be a great time. We'll have a great time together. We'll have a, I know it's hard to think that it's going to be fun. Is church fun? No. But anyway, let's be real now. And, uh, but I hope you'll be here tonight at 6.15. This is what, you know, it's amazing how quickly our perspective on something can change. When we discover that it's connected to someone that maybe we respect, someone that we consider valuable, someone that we maybe hold in a high esteem. Uh, for example, example, this basketball here, um, I actually got this at a Hope for Haiti auction, auction a couple of years ago. And uh, the basketball itself, I mean, who would ever play a game of basketball with a white basketball? I mean, it's pretty useless, maybe 10, 12 bucks uh, if you were to just go buy it. It's more for display. But it's not worth a whole lot until... All the signatures from the 2010 Men's National Championship, Duke University players, the coach, they all signed it. And all of a sudden, now that we know who it's connected to, it's valuable. So we don't play with it. We put it in a little box and protect it. You know, it's up on my office uh, shelves and people come in and look at it and, and offer me ridiculous amounts of money for it just because of who it's connected to. This is another example. This is a Josh Hamilton jersey. You can probably buy a Josh Hamilton jersey. Josh is from Apex. He's a friend of mine. You can probably buy his jersey in pretty much any sporting goods store in America. But you know why you can't buy this one? This was his all-star jersey. And not only that, he signed it for me. And so what was just a jersey, now you take it, you frame it, you put little pictures there, you hang it up, and people offer you stupid amounts of money for it because of who it's connected to. All of a sudden, it becomes valuable. And then there's some silly things in life. Uh, for example, how much would you pay for a used fake fingernail? Would you pay anything for a used fake fingernail? Somebody would when they found out it was connected to Lady Gaga and she actually used it and wore it in a concert. They paid $12,000 for that fingernail. Worthless except, thank you, Vanna, except who, <laughs> who is... And you put on a little weight there, Vanna. But anyway, um, except... For who it's connected to. How much would you pay for a used Kleenex tissue? Would you pay anything? No, but if you found out that Scarlett Johansson blew her nose in it, do you know what somebody was willing to pay? $2,000 for her dirty tissue, right? How much would you pay for a dead man's teeth? Well, that's just gross, isn't it? You know, unless you're a dentist and you got a thing for John Lennon and you were willing to pay $30,000 for his teeth after he died. And I looked at him, I'm like, they're not that impressive. I don't know why you'd buy them, right? 30,000, but see, all, it becomes valuable because of who it's connected to. In the same way, everybody here is an example of that principle. There's something about every person here, every person where you work, every person at your school, every person in your neighborhood, there's something about them that makes them acceptable, that makes them valuable, and it has nothing to do with their behavior. It has nothing to do with their lifestyle. It has nothing to do with their character. It's because it's something that's true of every person that's ever lived, every person that's ever walked on this planet. Now, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few minutes. And if you're new here with us, we are in a series. We're calling it Love Different. And we're calling it that because we're learning that God 
hasn't called us to treat people the way they treat us. That's typically what we do. You treat me one way, I'm going to treat you that way in return. That's not the lifestyle that God has called us to as Christians. He's called us to treat one another the way he has treated us. But what we're learning in this series, when we lose sight of that, we have a tendency to revert back to a form of relationship management that, you know, basically uh, we, the, the approach is I'm going to convince you, I'm going to manipulate you, and I'm going to control you. See, I need to convince you to get what I want uh, or, or to see life from my perspective. I need to manipulate you to get what I want. I need to control you to get you to do what I need you to do because all of us, basically, we're in relationships for what we can get out of them, what we need. So we approach our relationships that way. But if you were here last week, we saw that Jesus used a different approach when it comes to relationships. When Jesus was on this earth, he basically said, I'm not here to convince you. I'm not here to manipulate you, and I'm certainly not here to control you. Jesus said, first of all, I'm here to serve you. Second, I'm here to submit to you. I'm here to treat you as if your deal in life is bigger than my deal. And then Jesus added, when necessary, I'm even willing to sacrifice for you. Now, here's the tough part for those of us who are Christians, those of us who would identify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. Here's the tough part. Jesus also added, as a Christian, this is the way I want you to approach your relationships. I want you to serve. I want you to submit. And when necessary, I want you to sacrifice for the people around you. Now, here's the problem. The problem is this. We all have people in our lives that we don't think are worth serving, don't we? We all have people in our lives that we don't think are worth submitting to. We all have people in our lives that we don't feel are worth sacrificing for. I mean, they just don't deserve it. This is what we're going to learn this weekend. Every person on this planet, every person that's ever lived, every person that ever will live, every person, no exception, regardless of their character, regardless of their behavior, has something unique about them that makes them acceptable and makes them valuable. And until we can get this principle down, we're never going to be able to see, God, see people as God sees people. In fact, I'm convinced that if this one basic principle we're going to talk about this weekend, if it ever becomes a part of our lifestyle, it will change the way we relate to every person in our lives. This one principle, if a church, if we could just embrace this one simple principle, we would never be able to build enough buildings to provide enough space and enough parking spots and enough chairs for all the people that would be connected to this congregation because of the way that we love one another. And this is a principle that Jesus modeled while he was on this earth, so we get to see it lived out in his life. But it's also a principle that is taught in both the Old and the New Testament. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to make it really easy this weekend. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, okay? Find the first book in the Bible, the first page, and you are there. Everybody around you will think you are a Bible scholar. Genesis chapter 1, it's the story of creation. And as I read the story, I want you to listen to the contrast between what God said about animals when he was creating the animals, and what he said about mankind when he created man. I'll begin reading Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. It says this, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds. You see, you see a little theme here, don't you? All the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, and it's almost like there's a drum roll here, something's changing. Then God said, now that that's out of the way, 
Let us make mankind, not in, after their own kind, but in our image. See, there's a contrast. In our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. My point is this, the Bible says right here that every person that has ever lived, every person that ever will live was created by God in his image. And now let me just stop right here and say this. Uh, if you don't believe that God created you're never going to be able to treat people the way God wants us to treat people because you're never going to value people the way God values people. If you don't believe that we're made by God, if you don't believe that he made mankind in his image, if you believe that, you know, you began as some little single-cell amoeba and crawled out of some pond scum and grew a tail and swung through some trees and dropped down the ground, he had two legs and went to work on Wall Street. I mean, if, if, that's, kind of, if that's kind of what you believe, you're going to have a hard time getting, because the Bible teaches everybody that was, has ever lived, will ever live, was created by God in his image. That means that we have something that's a part of us as human beings that nothing else in creation has. For example, like God, we have the ability to be in relationships. Like God, we have the ability to lead and rule. Like God, we have the ability to create. Like God, we have personalities. Like God, we have a will. Like God, we have emotions. And we could go on and on and on. But the significant thing about this verse is this. God made man in such a way that he is different than all of the rest of creation. In other words, we are his prized creation so much so that we bear his signature. We have been made in his likeness. We have been made in his image. In fact, if you're following along in the Bible, turn over a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 5. And there's actually an illustration of what it means to be made in someone's image, someone's likeness. Genesis chapter 5 verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image image and his name he named him Seth those words they're in his own likeness they they're, they're the exact same Hebrew words the Bible the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew the same words we read earlier in Genesis chapter 1 and here's the implication just as Adam held little baby Seth and he sensed that this baby boy was in his image in the same way God looks at you God looks at me and he sees something of himself in us you see, that makes us unique in creation. And just as our children bear our image, every human being who has ever lived bears the mark, bears the resemblance of God. Every person we come into contact with is his prized creation. We each have his signature right across our foreheads. And I want to show you an example of just how seriously God takes this fact that mankind was created in his image. 
Uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. You can go over a couple more pages. This is right after the flood. And you remember before the flood, it said, it made God sad. It grieved him that he had made man. I mean, man was a major disappointment to God, right? And so he wiped out mankind except for Noah. You know the story. You probably heard it in Sunday school. And right after the flood, God says something. He makes a pronouncement in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 that tells you the value that he puts on human life. He says this, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made mankind. So God puts, that's the value that God puts on mankind that was created in his image. He takes it very, very seriously. So much so that he says, listen, this is the deal. If you shed someone else's blood, your blood's going to be shed. You don't mess with my creation. You don't mess with something that was created in my image. I take that very, very seriously. There's also an example of this in, in, in the New Testament. James uh, just so you know, James was the half-brother of Jesus. How would you like to be Jesus' half-brother? Man, that would, that would suck. You know, Jesus never left his socks out. He always, you know, he always took a shower, did exactly what mom, you know, I mean, I mean be terrible. So James became a follower of his own half-brother Jesus later on in life. This is what he wrote in James chapter 3, verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, now get this, who have been made in God's Likeness. You know what James is saying? He's saying that every time we're critical of someone, every time we put someone down, every time we slander someone's character, every time we gossip about someone, we're messing with someone who has God's signature on them. We are messing with God's creation. And I'll just warn you, God doesn't like it. He takes it personally. He gets offended. You know why? Because regardless of who that person is, regardless of what that person has done, God sees something of himself in that person. Now, this is the implication. When we get this, when we begin to understand this, that there's some of God's image in all of us, all of a sudden, the people who don't even show up on our radar screen, the people who serve us, the people who do things for us. Maybe, maybe we go to the same place to get our dry cleaning done, the same place that, to do our grocery shopping or change our oil. And, and these people, they don't even show up on our radar screen. We don't even know their name. Once we realize every person we haven't come in contact with is in God's image, all of a sudden we start to notice them. All of a sudden they begin to come into focus. That ex-husband that's like dead to you, you want nothing to do with. That ex-wife who made your life miserable, you wrote them out of your life. All of a sudden, they, they begin to come back into focus. That prodigal child comes back into focus. And all of a sudden, now get this, we are all in one big bucket. And our behavior doesn't matter. And our character doesn't matter. And our intentions don't matter. And the color of our skin doesn't matter. Suddenly we are all in one big bucket. And we are just a bunch of people that bear God's signature. That means that every one of us have value. That means that every human being has significance. And we're valuable and we're acceptable. Not based on anything we do or ever will do. We're acceptable and we have value because we bear the image of God. Simple principle. But with that in mind, let me ask you some questions. How should we respond to people who have God's signature on them, you know? How should we react and respond to people who have been made in his image? 
How do we react and respond to a human race that was of such value to God that when it was separated from him, he went looking for it. And when he found it, he paid the highest price he could possibly pay to bring it back into a relationship with him. How do we react and respond to people who have that much status in the eyes of our Heavenly Father? Let me ask you another question. Something to think about or ponder. Ponder is so much more biblical. See, you think, you think, but when you ponder, that's spiritual, okay? So let me give you something to ponder, okay? How do you think God feels when we mistreat someone who's that important to him? Let me try to illustrate this. How do you treat someone else's stuff when it's in your possession? Say someone lets you borrow something, or, or maybe you moved into an apartment and they let you, you know, they, they let you borrow some furniture, or maybe they let you use their beach house. How, how do you handle someone else's stuff when it's in your possession? Well, I hope you treat it carefully. You treat it with respect. And you don't treat those things that way necessarily based on the value of those things. You treat those things that way because of whom they belong to. For example, uh, if, if I invited you over to my house, you wouldn't come to my house and intentionally track mud all over the carpet. And if you did, you wouldn't have the attitude, Mike, don't take it personally. You know, I love you, Mike. That, that, that's just your carpet. But I love you. Or, or if you borrowed my truck, you know, you wouldn't trash my truck. and say, hey, Mike, I trashed your truck. But don't take it personally. Mike, I love you. That's just your truck, right? My point is, in a real-life relationship, we don't separate the possession from the person. In other words, how you treat my stuff when it's in your possession says a lot about how you feel about me. How, you, how I treat your stuff when it's in my possession says a lot about how I feel about you. Well, what if God sees his possessions the same way? Hmm. Let me show you some artwork. And I use that term loosely. I have two grandkids. Uh, Brennan is four, and, and Brennan painted that one. And Olivia, Olivia is six. She painted that one. By the way, Laura had a birthday yesterday, and as you can tell in her picture, she's not aging well. Right there, but that's okay I look like disco duck I don't, I don't know what Olivia was thinking there Brennan he studies at the feet of the Picasso he's, he's a little bit more into abstract I think but uh, now let me tell you something about that art that's me and Laura there it ain't worth Jack Diddley it has no value it is worth zero I mean, there's not even a market for this stuff, right? You know what I'm saying? In fact, this was probably more valuable as canvas before they decided to paint on it. I mean, it, it, in itself, it is worthless, right? Right? Let me ask you a question. How do you think, how do you think, how do you think Papa responded when they gave this stuff to me? Can you imagine me saying, oh, Brennan and Olivia, you're, I love you guys. You're the joy of my life. But well, that is the ugliest mess I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I am embarrassed for you. In fact, we need, we need to destroy this right now so it can never be traced back to our family whatsoever, right? We would never do that. We don't do that. I mean, your kid brings home something from school. Where do you go? Bam, right up on the refrigerator. Same thing. I'll put these in my office. I'll display them. When someone comes to visit me, I'll say, hey, look at what my grandkids did. It doesn't matter what it looks like. You know what the issue is? The issue is the hands that created it. 
Now, here's the thought that will change all of your relationships if it gets from here to here. It will change all of your relationships if it gets from your head to your heart, if it becomes more than just theory. What if God sees his creations made in his image the same way? What if God says, every person who has ever lived and ever will live, my artworks. See, my artwork. Suddenly, when we look at it from that perspective, everyone is acceptable. Everyone is valuable. Not because of their character. Not because of their behavior. Not because of their lifestyle. Not because of how beautiful they are. But they are valuable and they are acceptable because of the hands that made them. And that means that how we treat people, that's the reflection of the love and respect we have for our Heavenly Father. Let me share a verse with you. 1 John 4, 19. We love because He, God, we love because God first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoa, 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 God, I am not a liar. God, I love you. I can't stand that person. I can't stand that whole race. I hate my ex and my boss, but God, I love you. Do you know what God says? God says, you're a liar. You're a liar. Look at how you treat that person. Well, God, that's just a person. I love you. God says, no, uh-uh. You're a liar. In fact, look what it says, verse 20. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he, Jesus, has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Bottom line is this. Every person on the planet is God's artwork. Every person you're in a relationship with, God's artwork. And this is going to open the floodgates of email. Everyone who has hurt you in your past, God's artwork. That person that abused you, God's artwork. The person that abandoned you or continues to deceive you, God's artwork. And the way you treat them, it reflects on your respect and love for your heavenly Father. I want you to use your imagination just for a second. What would happen in our church if everyone embraced this one principle? I know we have a mission statement that begins by saying love people where they are. But what, what if we thought this way? When I deal with people, it's an opportunity for me to worship my heavenly father. By the way, do you know what, do you know what worship is? It, it means to ascribe worth or ascribe value to someone or something. For example, if you go to a football game... If you go to an NFL game and you stand and applaud when a player walks out on the field, what you're basically saying is you're valuable. You're ascribing value to that person. You're saying, I paid $150 to see you play. You are valuable. That's what you're saying. We do that all the time. We do it at concerts. Uh, I'm going to make a little bit of a confession. Uh, this is my wife's birth month. And we don't celebrate a birthday. Laura's very low maintenance except September. And... Uh, I do a lot of serving, sacrificing, and submitting to during the month of September. And one of the things Laura wanted to do, she wanted to go see Adam Levine in, in Maroon 5. And I'm like, okay, I, no self-respecting man's going to buy a ticket to that, right? So I, I called Bob Dumas at G105, and he got me some free tickets. And I know some of you men right now, you're so disappointed. I get it. I totally understand it. Uh, 
I actually did have to surrender my man card at the gate to get in. I was only one of seven men in attendance of about 30,000 people. In fact, uh, one time Laura went to the restroom and I looked and everybody around me was 18 to 25 female. And I thought I looked like the biggest pervert in the world sitting right, <laughs> sitting at this, at this concert. You know what I'm saying? But love makes you do crazy things. And so uh, I, I take Laura to this concert. Now Kelly Clarkson... I'm going to just be honest if I can be transparent. Kelly Clarkson opened for Maroon 5, and she was phenomenal. And she did this acoustic version with just an accordion, a violin, and, and a guitar. Uh, that song, Don't You Want to Stay Here a Little While. That song, I got to tell you, when she did that, tear, tear. <laughs> I had a moment. I'm just saying. Incredible. However, however, how about them bears? Yeah, but anyway. Uh, when the lights went down and the flame and, and the flames, yeah, and the and the lights came back up, you know, blazing. And Adam Levine was on stage. Laura's hands went up and her eyes rolled back, and she was ascribing value. She was worshiping. Pray for her, would you? Would you just pray for her anyway? Put that on your list. That's what worship is. We ascribe value now, in the very same way. When we meet people whose artwork seems kind of poor, maybe a little bit messy, maybe even ugly. When we have people in our life of, of questionable character, in fact, maybe we've already put them on here, bad person, we put them on that list, right? When we accept that person and when we treat that person with respect, I know this is so outside of our, our logic. Do you know what we're doing? We're ascribing worth to the hands that created them. That's worship. Now, let me just ask you a question. What would happen in your marriage if you embrace this principle? Maybe your husband is misbehaving and his character stinks. Maybe your wife is misbehaving and her character stinks. What if every morning when you woke up, you looked at them and you recognized God's signature? You know what happens? Suddenly, she's acceptable and valuable. Suddenly, he's acceptable and valuable. Not because of his or her behavior, but because he or she is a premier creation of your heavenly father. And you show your heavenly father respect when you honor by the way you treat that person. Respect and honor by the way you treat that person. What would happen if you treated your neighbor that way, your coworker that way? your roommate that way here's another little nugget maybe you struggle with low self-esteem you know we basically live in a culture that ties our self-esteem to our looks and and our performance the reality is since we're created in the image of God we're all God's artwork we're all God's masterpieces turn to the person beside you and say you're a piece of work no don't say that turn <laughs> turn to him and say you're God's masterpiece just turn and say that to him you don't have to know him it's true we're all God's masterpieces. Let me tell you something. The fact that we're God's artwork, the fact that we're God's masterpiece, that is the only thing that gives us significance in this life. That is really the only thing we can find security in in this life. Think about it. Everything else comes and goes. Whatever you can do now, you won't always be able to do. However you look now, you won't always look that way. No matter how much money you have, you could lose it all. Everything comes and goes. Our security and our self-esteem is grounded in the fact God's hands made us. 
And that's true of every person around you. Here's the challenge. It's to begin to be able to look at God's people and say, made in God's image, made in God's image, made in God's image. Well, he's got a cowboy jersey on. He's definitely made in God's image. Made in God's image, made in God's image. You go to work and no matter who's getting under your skin, acceptable, 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 acceptable. When you find somebody who just has totally disappointed you in something they've done, their behavior, valuable, 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 valuable. I mean, if we did that, can you imagine what would happen in our relationships? I mean, what would happen with those rude, obnoxious people at work? What would happen in our homes and our neighborhood? What would happen with our spouses, our children? What would happen with our roommates? What would happen if we approached every relationship? God, I'm going to honor you by the way I handle your artwork. I'm telling you, it would absolutely transform the way we see and treat people. Now, just so you know, this is no new and cool principle that I discovered. This is why Jesus said, they will know you are Christians, John 13, 35. They will know you are Christians by your bumper sticker. He didn't say that, did he? They will know you're Christians by the fact you have a fish on your car. Mm -mm. They'll know you're Christians by the fact you get up every Sunday, load your family in a car, and go to a building that has a cross on it. Didn't say that, did he? They'll know you're Christians by your behavior. Nope. They'll know you're Christians by your character. Mm-mm. Jesus said, they'll know you're Christians by the way you love me. Jesus didn't say that. This is what he said, John 13, 35. By this, everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another, period. Basic Christianity. This is just 101 stuff right here. But you got to understand the implications of this. This is why the holy, no sin, Perfect, no sin, that's what they mean. This is why the holy, perfect son of God could come into this world and embrace sinful man. It's because when he looked into the eyes of the tax collectors, when he looked into the eyes of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, when he looked into the eyes of the prostitutes, when he looked into the eyes of the thief that was hanging on the cross beside him, when he looked into their eyes, he saw the heavenly father's signature written right across their lives. And because of that, he didn't shun anyone. They were all acceptable. They were all valuable. And they were all invited to be a part of his kingdom. In the same way, when God looks at a person that we can't stand, somebody maybe that betrayed us or abused us or abandoned us or hurt us in many ways, you know what he sees? He sees something of himself in that person. And when you and I can begin to treat that person accordingly, something Something good's going to happen in that relationship. Now, you got to understand, I warned you from the very first week. As Christians, if you're not a Christian, I mean, don't worry about it. But as Christians, this is the life that God has called us to. This is where he's taking us. And since, since this is where he wants to take us anyway, would you be willing to try something maybe just for a week? No matter who the person is in your life, no matter what they've done to you in your past, would you be willing to try for a week when you look at them, just think, hmm, image of God, signature of God. Image of God, you may have to say it over and over yourself. Image of God, signature of God. 
When you feel yourself getting angry, image of God, signature of God. Starting to get frustrated, image of God, signature of God. They hurt you and, and you, all of a sudden you want to get even and retaliate, image of God, signature of God. They deceive you and lie to you again, oh. image of God, signature of God. When I pray for our church, this is what I pray for. I pray that we'll learn to love this way so we can have influence for God in this world. Remember what I said last week? You will never influence one that you don't accept. I want us to love this way so that we can have an influence for God in the world. We talk about loving people where they are. This is where it starts. Let's bow together. I'm going to let you go, but you know, in this series, obviously, I'm getting a lot of emails with a lot of questions, and when, last week, I got several that says, okay, if you love somebody this way unconditionally, when does it become enabling? We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Um, what if the other person won't admit wrong? We'll talk about that. What if the other person that you want to build this relationship, what if they don't want a relationship? We'll talk about that. When is enough enough? We'll talk about that. Well, all those, we'll answer all those questions and more in the coming week. But you got to understand something. Regardless what the answer is to any of those questions, this is where we start. Forget about anybody else. This is where we start. This is what God has called us to. This is the standard that he has set for us. When we get ready to write someone off, push them out of our lives, God said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Image of God, signature of God. Father, we, uh, we can't do this on our own. We are humanly incapable of loving this way. The only way we can do this, Father, is through your spirit loving through us. So I would pray right now when maybe we're building up a wall or thinking of all the reasons why maybe this doesn't apply or why our situation is unique. I pray before we even get there, Father, I just pray that you would help us to see the signature of God, the image of God of every person we come into contact, every person who has hurt us, betrayed us, in many ways destroyed us. Father, may we not let it define who we are because we are created in your image and we have your signature on our lives. We look forward to where you're taking us over the next few weeks on this journey together. Because we know the destination is we're going to be more like you. And so we thank you ahead of time. In your name we pray. Amen.